And welcome back, everybody, to another Vince August podcast. We are up to episode number 38. Um, This episode, I'm going to take on um, some hot topics. One, as it relates to the country overall and a topic that politicians seem to be shying away from. I haven't seen it brought up yet in either of the Republican debates. Um, I don't anticipate seeing it in the Democratic debates, and there's a couple reasons why, and that's gun control. Um, man, everyone's afraid to talk about gun control, and I have my reasons why, but I want to go over some real news and statistics. I actually have uh, a Facebook friend who works for um, ABC News that put up an, an article, and when I looked at the article, it was just filled with misinformation with regards to the amount of killings and deaths and this and that. And here, here comes the problem with that. When you have the pro-gun people see those articles and see how much misinformation there is in there, they say, you see, you, you don't even know the real facts and the real statistics. And they actually look smarter than the anti-gun people. Um, you, you have to actually come from a place and a perspective. If you're going to have an intelligent discourse of real numbers and show what the real effects are and show what the real problems are with the gun violence in this country. If you're going to try to make any headway with pro-gun and pro-Second Amendment people. So that's one of the things I want to touch on. And that's going to kind of lead into this situation with this um, student out in Texas. And we're seeing I stand with Ahmed all over the place. And I, I want to touch on that because I think people are really jumping on something that Again, that everyone get you know gets a law degree overnight. Everyone becomes, you know, so either left or so conservative that everyone misses the the main points and some of the arguing points about the situation and how, in my mind, it really was a non-issue that was blown way, way, way out of proportion. And the fact that this kid has a hashtag, I stand with the med, and people are making this such a a, a white racist versus Muslim thing. I'm going to show you why that information is really misleading. And this is why I hate the left. When they start waving these flags and they start getting all crazy on on some of these liberal issues. And, you know, listen, I don't like the right extremists, but I hate the left extremists just as much. And, you know, you guys get on on these on these bandwagon things and you're so wrong about them. And the reason you're so wrong is because you are so extreme. That's the problem, extremist. Um, but I'm going to touch on that a little bit. And um, what was the last thing I wanted to get into? The gun thing? The, the, um, oh, the, the Republicans and, and, and the whole how it's all kind of shaping out and shaking out and, and how and why I feel you're seeing people like Trump, Fiorina, and Carson in the lead. Um, I, w- I do want to touch on that. And, and obviously the debate was this past week today. Um, by the way, the taping date of this is September 19th, um, 2015. So let's get right into the gun thing. Let me not waste any time um, going over what I'm going to talk about and just start talking about it. There is a great, great article uh, in the Washington Post that I found with regards to real statistics and real information. And the article is by Max Ehrenfrund and Zachary Goldfarb. And the article came out on June 18th of this year. And the article is entitled, 
11 essential facts about guns and mass shootings in the United States. And and I cross-referenced and checked these facts, and they seem to be very much on target. Um, and for those of you who want to look up the article, I'm pretty much going to spell it out for you here um, without getting into a lot of the commentary about it. Basically, what we see since 1982 in this country, there have been um, 61 mass shooting sprees um and when you look at you know mass murders and shooting sprees there's different definitions um but basically you know that's something that has some type of terroristic ideology maybe there was a, a, a profit motivation or something like that but it basically comes down to shooting at least four people in public places um qualifies as a mass shooting at 61 since 1982 uh that roughly breaks down um let's see 92 02 12 30 um that's two a year that's a lot that's a lot of mass shootings to have in a year of where someone shoots four or more people um you know you're you're getting into an an area where every six months we're going to have a story where someone kind of goes crazy and starts shooting four or more people. Um, that that seems to be a lot to me in, in a country that has laws um, and rules and regulations in the Second Amendment and, and how to control this. Um, so, you know, I, I think that number can come down. And here's why I feel there needs to be some more safeguards into this. When you look at those 61 mass shootings which is roughly, again, about two a year, where the killer obtained the weapon legally, 49 of the 61. See, that's what makes that number more disturbing for me. If it was 61 where a gun was illegally obtained, I would say, well, listen, you know what? We have criminals and a criminal element out there, and it's Hard to, and look if you look up FBI statistics, the FBI any police officer will always tell you the hardest thing to stop is the lone gunman, which is a guy, kid, whatever who snaps on his own and just loads up, goes out and goes on a shooting spree unannounced, where there's no co-conspirator, where there's no one working with him because then there's no chatter. There's no exchange of information. It's just one person who snaps. It's almost impossible to stop that. It's impossible to stop someone doing that. And we've seen that over the years. Um, So when I see the number of legally obtained weapons, that tells me that we have a problem in how these weapons are being either distributed or how the ownership is going into place. And I have always said, I think any license, whether it's an automobile license, a gun license, any license issued, look at my law license, for example, I think should come with a requirement that you continually qualify for that license. Yes, it creates cost. Yes, it creates expense. But if you really want to weed out the gun owners in this country, And you really want to make sure that the people who are gun gun owners are qualified, careful gun owners. They don't care about the cost. They really don't. So, you know, making someone renew their license 
every two years, pay a hundred dollar fee. That money could be put to really good use. Having a gun owner go to a range, a police range, and have to qualify and pay a fee to qualify to show that they know how to use the firearm. Think about that. Imagine you have to report to your local police station and pay for that officer's time. So it's not like, well, the taxpayer burden, Vin. No, no, no. You have to go. You take an off-duty cop, and that cop is now going to make $50 an hour, and you have to pay him out of your own pocket, gun owner, $50, and you have to meet him at a range and spend an hour with him showing that you know how to fire the weapon, you know how to care for the weapon, you know the safety of the weapon, you know how to clean the weapon, you know how to store the weapon, and you do that every two years. So if you're paying a license fee every year and you're paying an off-duty officer, say, $50 an hour, you know what? That's making money for police officers. That's making money for the state government and taking that money and putting it into a fund and putting it towards education or something else. I am fine with that. I really am. Um, Having a gun owner go for a psychological profile every other year. Again, out of their pocket. They have to pay, go see a psychiatrist, spend $300 for the one-hour session, Then you're going to see how bad people want to own guns. Because now if it's costing me $400, $500 every two years, $250 a year to pay for these tests, to pay for these qualifications, I don't think that's a real infringement on on gun owner rights. And if you tell them, you're allowed to own guns. We're not going to stop you from owning guns. What we want to make sure is that the people that own guns are responsible, intelligent, well-balanced people that know the safety and how to operate a firearm, and it's going to cost you some money. And you say, well, that's social war- warfare, that only rich people can own guns and not poor people. But, hey, listen, I'm, I'm coming up with a solution that, again, if you really want to own a gun, you know what? You will save money, you will put it aside, and you will do these things. I don't think that's that much of a burden. And I'm going to tell you right now, I am coming from the perspective of a gun, on, gun owner. I own three guns. I have a Walter PPK. I got a 357. I have a Beretta 9mm. And you say, well, why do you own them? One, collect. Because if you notice, the Walter PPK is a James Bond pistol. A collect. The 357 is home protection. The Beretta 9mm, again, I bought, that was my, one of my first guns I bought years ago to target practice. It was a, a very popular pistol back in the 90s, and I've had it all these years. Um, I do go target practice shooting. I, I keep my weapon in my house. Um, they are two of the three are locked up where you can't get access to. And one is again for home protection um, where I have very easy access to it. I don't have children in my house. It's two adults. Um, so there, there's my background. So this way you don't think, you know, oh, here's the hypocrite talking. Um, now you know about me. Um, the other thing that is a true statistics, gun ownership in the United States is actually declining. Um, over the years, it's actually gone down. However, still one-third of households in the United States do own guns. Um, But the the gun ownership peak in this country was actually between 1977 and 1980. The statistics I gave you with regards to the mass shootings occurred after that. So gun ownership has gone down, but the amount of these incidents has actually gone up which you know is kind of interesting because again overall the numbers would you would think would support not having these issues 
but um, it's it's the exact opposite. So it's not about necessarily gun ownership, access to guns. It's about the people getting access to guns. Um, and they actually, in this article, they break down even further the statistics. Um, new research also suggests the paradox. Uh, while blacks are significantly more likely than whites to be gun homicide victims, blacks are only about half as likely as whites to have a firearm in their home. 41% to 19%. That blew my mind that it's that much of a difference. So black people are being more affected by shootings, yet they own a lot less guns than white people. Um, and then you can get into the whole black on black crime versus, you know, who's doing the shootings and everything else. Um, again, so it's it's not really a, a, a numbers thing in the amount of guns on the street. It's it's the people that own the guns. And this is why the safeguard. And, and listen, I, I have my theory on why we can't restrict uh, gun ownership in this country. I think the gun lobby is incredibly powerful. They are obviously donating a lot of money to political parties. They are obviously very tied into the military. And I think if the gun lobby and the gun manufacturers in this country didn't have the ability to sell their guns to the public at large, I think the immediate turnaround would be, okay, um, you want to fight wars? Yeah, we make those guns. Now the average weapon for your military, instead of being $1,000 per weapon, you know what? Because we can't sell it to the public, it's now $5,000 a weapon. And the one thing our country is very good at is war. Now, all of a sudden, it's going to cost that much more money to go to war, which will be harder for Congress to get an act of war or our president to get military acts approved because it becomes that much more expensive because the the people in charge in the government are going to realize that's going to be the statistic everyone's going to show. This is how much this last war cost us and will cost them elections. Ultimately, I believe that is the trickle down effect of restricting gun ownership in this country the manufacturers will then recover their costs against the government for police use and military use and basically the gun manufacturing companies will not lose who will lose the government and who's the government get their money from the taxpayers so in order to have war in order to have cops taxes go up we bear the brunt of the cost it's a vicious cycle and it's a catch-22 which is why i think the gun control argument really fails um as far as where the guns are this was quite interesting the, the article breaks it down um the northeast has 20 27 percent of the guns and then it becomes the south 38 percent and the south starts right under pennsylvania um, they break it down Mason Dixon line. It lo- almost looks like the way it cuts across all the way up to Texas Midwest, which starts at the Western Pennsylvania border and goes all the way to Montana, um, Kansas, you know, just that area. And then there's the West, which is California, Montana, Wyoming, uh, all the way down to New Mexico is 34%. So really it's an even spread with the Northeast, um, lagging behind. With regards to gender, this was interesting. The breakdown percentage um, in each group will say they have a gun. 38 women to 31 men. I didn't expect that. It That's, a, that's very even, really even. Um, the age group in which most of these gun owners exist, 
believe it or not, um, the the higher number, 40%, fell between 50, age 50 and 64. The other 40% fell between, or uh, I'm sorry, this is a total number. The numbers break down based on gun owners that were, were asked, so it's not 40%. But the higher ratios are ages 50 to 64, and then 65 and up. It's not young people buying guns. Um, in terms of environment, rural by far exceeds urban areas or even suburban areas. In fact, in the urban areas, the rural gun owners double the urban gun owners. And again, a lot of that has to do with culture and environment and hunters and, and all of that. So it's, again, this, this for the most part isn't people locking themselves up in their homes and, you know, it's waiting for the apocalypse. Um, the ideology, uh, conservatives almost double. Liberals, moderates are very close to the amount of conservatives. Um, and according to party, Republicans and independents uh, outweigh Democrats in terms of gun owners. Um, the, the article goes on, and it's really a great article. Actor shooter events have become more common in recent years. And uh, studies showing active shootings between the year 2000 and 2013 um, shows that these incidents are happening more and more recently. The first seven years of the study, from year 2000 to 2007, there was an average of 6.4 active shootings per year, while the last seven years, that number jumped to 16.4%. So the numbers have actually gone up, and for all of you out there that love to get on the Republican-Democrat thing, and you talk about, is our country safer? And I saw in the Republican debate um, with regards to George Bush, and I saw on Facebook, everyone immediately jumped on that and said how how this happened. Uh, 9-11 happened on George Bush's watch. <clears throat> well, I want you to think about this. The active shootings per year, 6.4% between 2000 and 2007, the George Bush era. Since then, during the Barack Obama era, that study... That number jumped 16.4 per, uh, incidents per year. 16.4. 10 more per year during the Obama administration. So again, this is not a Republican-Democrat issue when it comes to safety. Um, and if you all want to get hung up on, on picking sides and, and getting into your, your constant pissing contest over who's responsible for the problems in this country... Um, it just shows your your stupidity and your lack of information because th- this is this is a gun ownership problem. The violence in this country is not tied necessarily to Republicans or Democrats. So you want to blame nine eleven on Bush? That's fine. Then the gun owners will blame all the gun shootings on Obama. So there, you're even. Is is your pissing contest work working? I didn't think so. Um, the active shooting incidents, again, there's a chart, and they show how many. 2013, there were 17. 2012, 21. Uh, in 2010, there was 26. Um, in, tw- in 2009, 19. That's a lot of incidents. And again, if you want to make this a, a, a party issue, it's all during the Obama administration. Um. Of the 12 deadliest shootings in the United States, six of them have happened from 2007 onward. 
again, you know, we, we have this Democratic ad- administration in place. There was an opportunity. You passed health care reform. Where was the gun reform? You know, and this is where the liberals kill me again. And believe me, I am I'm as down the middle, but I want to show you. And, and listen, I point out when the conservatives are wrong, but I have to point out when the left is wrong. And the left is really getting under my skin lately because everyone tries to beat up the, the right from the left with regards to terrorism and, and all of these actions and everything else. The country has become more violent since Obama has been in office than it was before. So, you know, there was this rush to pass health care administration and, and all these other issues. Where was the rush to pass gun control? And, you know, Obama's given credit for, for gay marriage. It wasn't Obama. It was the Supreme Court. He has failed on gun control miserably. And it's not like it's been an issue that hasn't been hot. The numbers, the numbers don't lie. The numbers are going up during his, his administration, and, and he's not addressing it. Um, here's the, here's the, the funny thing about this, though, as it relates to other violence. America is actually while it's unusually violent, we're not as violent as we used to be. Um, If you look at the assault um, deaths per 100,000 in population, actual assaults, now now we're moving away from gun, we're just talking about assaults. The numbers from 1960 spiked around 1979, 1978. That's where we saw a huge increase from 1980 all the way to 2010. The numbers have declined significantly. Um, So assault deaths per hundred thousand actually are almost at the level they were in 1960, just a little bit higher. So assault deaths are actually coming down Um, with regards to the more violent regions in the country. The South is by far the most violent region um, the Northeast is the least violent region. And that's funny to me because everyone talks about how dangerous New York city is. I, I live a stone throw outside of New York city. It's literally a 15 minute car ride for me to the George Washington bridge. And all I've ever heard about is how violent New York city is. Meanwhile, the Northeast as a region with, you know, Philadelphia, Boston, New York city, we are so much less violent than even the West and the West is numbers have, have dipped since um, pretty steadily since 2006 up to 2010. But the, the South blows us away. Uh, the Midwest has been pretty consistent. Um, the other statistics that are shown by the Harvard Injury Control Research Center shows that more guns tend to lead to more homicide. So the amount of guns, you know, that get produced, obviously, and you think that makes sense, um, obviously. The states with stricter gun control laws have fewer deaths. And this is this is no lie. If, and they have a chart and a map. Um, states with at least one firearm law designed to protect children in place. Um, Texas, California, Nevada, Illinois, Wisconsin, Michigan, Iowa, Minnesota. And then pretty much the entire Northeast from North Carolina, Virginia, all the way up to, I'm I'm surprised Maine and Vermont are not included, but all the way up to New Hampshire have at least one firearm law 
you know, there to guard against uh, children. And those states have the fewest amount of incidents. So, again, it, you know, if you put in a rule, if you put in a law, basically the laws work, which is why I offered this notion of make you know, associated to a fee. You pay a licensing fee every year. You have to go qualify for your firearm every year. And you've got to get a psychiatric exam every year or two years and have it come out of the gun owner's pocket. Again, I don't think that that's that burdensome. I don't think it, it's good. I don't think a court, and again, I'm coming to you, I'm putting on my lawyer hat. I don't think a judge in the Supreme Court can say that the burden outweighs the right in the Second Amendment. I really don't. Um, here's my favorite part of the article. Gun control in general has not been politically popular, and its popularity has been declining lately. And again, left, defend this one. Since 1990, Gallup has been asking Americans whether they think gun control laws should be stricter. The answer increasingly is that they don't. Less than half of Americans, 47%, say they favor stricter gun laws uh, covering the sales of firearms. But this percentage is significantly below the 58% recorded in 2012 after the school shooting in Newton. So after the school shooting, it's 58%. Now it's 47%. Um, you know, 38% of Americans say there should be gun laws um, just the way they are. 14% say they should be less strict. I mean, the, the numbers blow my mind. So it's, it's like incidents happen when we, we immediately forget about it. Um, and and that, that, you know, whole notion goes out of our head almost immediately. Um, now, while gun control isn't that popular certain policies tend to be um and and the the article is really good with this one while america while many americans strongly support the right to bear arms they also support specific restrictions such as background checks assault weapon bans and a federal database to track guns and this is the thing that i'm talking about here um and and here's the numbers i wanted to get to most importantly on this issue Public policy backing for many gun policy proposals. Background checks for private and gun show sales. 85% of gun owners are in favor. Preventing people with mental illness from purchasing guns. 80% in favor. Federal database to track guns. 67% are in favor. Armed security guards police in more schools, 64% in favor. Ban on semi-automatic weapons. This one surprised me. 58% in favor. I think that should be higher. Ban on assault-style weapons, 55%. Ban on high-capacity ammunition clips, 54%. Now we're starting to get closer to that you know, 50-50 split. Ban on online sale of ammunition, 53%. That blows my mind because I, I don't think you should be getting mail order um, ammunition. I, I think you should have to go to a gun shop, show your identification card. You shouldn't be able to do that online. I, that scares me. Uh, more teachers and school off officials with gun in schools, 
that number is 40%. Now, that I agree with. I, I don't want to start training teachers in having guns and firearms. Teachers are under a microscope as it is. Last thing you need to do is burden them with, with gun control and weapons. And Come on. That's absolutely insane. Um, and here's the final statistic. Shootings don't tend to substantially affect views on gun control. Okay. The Pew Research Center found after polling Americans after mass shootings, um, and this was a report from late last year, for the first time in more than 20 years, Americans showed more support for gun rights than gun control. Is that amazing? For the first time in 20 years. So even though all of this is happening more and more, the public really seems to be shifting towards gun rights than gun control. That blows my mind. Um, But again, this is an amazing article. Washington Post, um, June 18th article. Max Ehrenfreund, E-H-R-E-N-F-R-E-U-N-D, and Zachary Goldfarb, G-O-L-D-F-A-R-B. Great, great article by these guys. Um, And those are the true statistics. That's what's happening but again, I think there's a way to control it. I gave my opinion. Um, blame your administration, and it's your current administration. This one's on Obama. Uh, I don't want to hear about the safety in the country. Um, this this one's on him. Now, I want to get back to this one part of this um, poll, and that's more teachers and and schools, school officials with guns in schools. And this brings me to the the new story I want to cover which is this whole issue with the student in Texas, um, Ahmed, and everything that happened with regards to this clock and this alleged bomb. So the story, as everyone has seen, I'm sure, um, Ahmed Muhammad went to his high school in uh, Irving, Texas, and he wants to become an engineer. And he wanted to show his teacher, this digital clock he made from a pencil case. Um, and what happened is he, he says, I built the clock to impress my teacher, but when I showed it to her, she thought it was a threat to her. And um, and she said, it, you know, she took the wrong impression and she saw, saw it as a threat. They arrested him and told him that he committed a crime of a hoax bomb, a fake bomb. And... The more I looked into this story, the more I wanted to see what was going on. Um, The teen was actually never charged. Um, Chief Larry Boyd basically said uh, Ahmed Muhammad should have been more forthcoming um, by going beyond the description that what he made was simply a clock. There's a whole lot of backstory to this with regards to the father and his role and, in, 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 you know, being very outspoken. And then immediately this became a hashtag. I stand with Ahmed and President Obama through his Twitter tweets on September 16, 2015 at 1258 p.m. Cool clock, Ahmed. Want to bring it to the White House? We should inspire more kids like 
you to like science. It what it's what makes America great. All right, now let, let's get into what exactly happened here. If you read the entire story, um, as we get people into American Islamic relations and hating and white people again, and the, the, you know the left saying, "You see, this is racist America. This is Islamic home, uh, Islamic phobia." And he deserves an apology, and he deserves this, that, the other thing. Okay. With regards to what had happened, apparently this student made this clock on his own. This was not part of a project. This was not part of an assignment. This was something he did on his own. He brought it in and showed it to his science teacher, which apparently the science teacher was impressed and said to him, "Um, just don't show it to anyone else. It's great. You did a good job, and let's keep it between us. Um, Ahmed carries this thing around with him in school and brings it into another classroom. And while he's sitting in that other classroom, it apparently beeps. Uh, one teacher specifically told him, okay, it's nice, but don't show it to the other instructors. Don't show it to the other teachers. Okay, they're not going to know what it is. When it started beeping and the teacher walked over to see what it was, her initial reaction was it looked like a bomb. Now, here's something I said in my last podcast with regards to that woman Davis, uh, Kim Davis down in Kentucky. And I was very, very open about it. I was very honest about it. And I said, everyone is running to her aid right now from the Republican side because the views she is espousing are Christian Catholic related. I said, what if she was Islamic and said, I am not issuing these marriage licenses because they go against my Islamic belief. Would Mike Huckabee be running to her aid then? And I said, no, I don't think so. That plays both ways. If this was a white kid, if this was Travis from Texas that made this device, and Travis got in trouble, would all of these people currently going crazy with this I stand with Ahmed hashtag have the same fervor and same anger and everything else that we're seeing that's making this anti-Islamic if it was a white kid. I don't think it's even close. I really don't. I don't think anybody would make it this out to be a big deal. And you say, well, of course not, Vin. That's because white kids are not hated on in this country. It, this is about Islam. Okay, no one's hating on the white religious groups. Well, you know what? I want you to hear this. Religion in incidents of hate crime in the United States from 1995 to 2000. The number one religion subject to hate crimes in the United States with 78.6% of 
78.6% are Jewish people. Okay. Now, that's pre-9-11. And you're saying, all right, that's fine, Vin. 1995 to 2000, big deal. Show me the more recent numbers. Allow me to do so. Religion and incidents of hate crime in the United States between 2001 and 2012 with 66% still way ahead in the lead. Jewish people. The number one religious group in this country hated on more than any other religious group. Jewish people. Muslim come in second with 12.1% with a group identified as other religions, which would not include Catholics or Protestants, other come in with 9.7%. So the difference between Muslims and others is almost 2%. There's a 2% difference. Now, if you look back between 1995 and 2000, other religions qualified for 10%. They've gone up. Catholics at 3% have gone up. So, yes, the Muslim issues in this country have gone up since the year 2000, but it's gone up with pretty much other religions or stayed the same with the Jews having an overwhelming issue with hatred towards them. So while everyone is trying to paint this picture of America as hating on Muslims and this anti-Islamic sentiment, I have to tell you, You better do some research because the real anti-religion in this country is anti-Semitism. So now let me change the scenario yet again. Let's say that it wasn't Ahmed Muhammad that brought this ticking clock to school that was beeping. But let's make him Ira Bernstein brought this clock to school. How many people out there would be making hashtag I stand with Ira posts? You know, you got to be really careful when you start picking sides and you start trying to put somebody and make somebody a hero because there are people out there making this kid a hero. I'm going to now tell the story from a different perspective for all of you people making a meta hero. You are all parents. You all send your kids to a school where a kid, forget about his name and race, because we just showed name and race is only really in play when it works for the media in hyping a story. A kid takes something to school that's a homemade clock, starts beeping in class that he showed to a science teacher, didn't make anybody else aware of, was told Don't show it to someone else. When he takes it out of the box, they look at it. The teacher says, that looks dangerous to me. They call the cops. They investigate. 
find out that there's nothing wrong. They don't charge the kid. That's an outrage. I just talked to you for 30 minutes about gun control and gun shootings and issues what happen. So now I ask you, what makes you feel safer? Parent of kid in school. That a kid brought something to school that may or may not have looked like a bomb. Looked like a fake bomb. Nonetheless, it was something that he was not asked to bring to school. It was investigated. They looked into it. It turned out to be nothing. End of story. Or we turned a blind blind eye to this. Let the kid do whatever the hell he wants to do. Oh, that's cool. Somebody else copycats across the country blows up a classroom. I don't have a problem with erroring on the side of caution. Listen, I will go to every airport in this country, take off my shoes, my shirt. I will go through the metal detector in my underwear if I know it's going to keep this country safe. I don't care about that. I don't find that to be an infringement. Okay? I just talked for 30 minutes about, hey, give me a psychological exam. Hey, give me a another feat. Make me go test for a weapon. Make me go, you know, to shooting range to qualify. I have no problem with having to continually show what I need to show to make this country safe. It seems that the people that have a problem with this are also the first people that have a problem. Then when a kid goes to school and blows up a school or starts shooting in a school, they say, Oh, you see the guns are out of control and we have no gun control in this country. We have no, 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 this, no, that. You know what? The kid brought something to school. He was questioned about it. They took him aside. End of story. You want to make this about Islamic hate? Before you do that, talk to somebody Jewish because they're facing six times, at least five times, up to six times as much hatred as Islamic people since 1995. So where's the real hatred in this country? But that's not what's sexy in the media. That's not what is going to help all of these nightly shows. And all of these, you know, these shows that try to portray the white people as the white devil and show Islamic fear. That's not what's going to get ratings for Larry Wilmore and some of these other shows. Instead, no, we're going to scare the hell out of everyone and show them all oh, white people the white rage the white the white fear of islamic people somebody's brown it's fear no you're lying and you're misrepresenting what's actually happening in the news okay because the number one religion that's hated on in this country is jewish is the jewish faith the anti-semitism in this country out marks all the other religion religions by far so relax relax with the anti-islam thing Listen, is it a problem? It's a 12% problem. It's not a 66% problem. So before we deal with the 12% problem, why don't we deal with the anti-Semitism in this country, which is the real problem. So if I told you right now that gun violence was at 66% and rape was at 12%, would you tell me, you know what? We really got to stop the rape first. Or would you deal with the gun violence first? Yes, both of them are crimes. Both of them are are heinous and awful. But before you start saying rape is out of control in this country at 12%, and meanwhile it's gun violence at 66%,
You're going to sound like an idiot. So before you start saying, you know what, Islamic hate is out of control. No, anti-Semitism is out of control still, still. So yeah, that really irked me. It really bothered me when I saw everyone jump on this bandwagon because you know what? I saw it as nothing more than a school incident where there was an issue. It was addressed. It was dropped. But the, 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 our media, the, the, the whores that are in our media couldn't wait to jump on this story and say, well, here we go. Islamic fear. Look at the white people. White people in Texas, Islamic fear. I don't have a problem with anything that happened in that story. I really don't. I really, really don't. And if you do, you know what? You're one of these people that is crying wolf at every t- opportunity you get to try to show, oh my God, look, the white devil, the white, stop it. Stop it. Enough. Really quick, I want to wrap up with the Republican debate that we saw this week. Um, And once again, Donald Trump comes out of this thing unscathed, man. He is becoming the Teflon Don. Um, (laughs) You know, that's what I'm going to call him from now on, Teflon Don. Because no matter what he says, no matter what he does, no matter how bad they try to make him look, no matter how much the Republican candidates try to beat him up, He keeps rising in the polls. And now the people in the lead, Ben Carson, Carly Fiorina, Donald Trump, three non-politicians lead. And this is driving the Republican Party crazy. It's driving them nuts. And I love it because the message here from the public, even from registered Republicans, from undecided people is we're tired of your politicians. We want real people, even if those real people are crass, like Donald Trump. We don't care. Carly Fiorina had our problems running Hewlett Packard. We don't care. Ben Carson, soft-spoken guy, neurosurgeon. Maybe he doesn't. He's not backed up with all of the political knowledge he needs to have to run a. We don't care. We're tired of politicians. That's what came out of this Republican debate. Nobody trusts politicians anymore because that's what they've become. They've become politicians. They are professional politicians. We want real people in office. And for everybody hating on Donald Trump, and listen, again, I'm, I'm not convinced he should be our president. I wouldn't vote for him because I think... You're running for a job that is political. See, if you're running for president, it's a political position. You do need to learn how to be a little political in your way. You can't be all business. And that's the job you're going for. So learn how to do the job somewhat. At the same time, everybody hating on them. All you're doing is you're riling up the people that are so against, again, the, the, the left, the, you know, free speech killers, the people that are so sensitive, you're riling up that Trump group, man, and you're just making them come out more and more in numbers. So right now, what I see is the divisiveness in this country is twofold. It's people frustrated with politics in general and politicians, and it's this other voice of, you know what, we're tired of the political correctness, and you know what, the more you bash Trump, the more you say this guy is this, that, the other thing, the more we're going to say that's my guy. We are as divided as ever in this country. United States of America. You know what? Let's just call it America for a little while because I, I think we need to drop the United States part. We're just America. Guys, that's the podcast. Hope you enjoyed. By the way, podcast numbers have been outstanding. 
Everyone out there listening, thank you. People coming up to me telling me how great the podcasts are. I can't thank you enough. Uh, I know I have some loyal listeners. I saw the, uh, the podcast numbers on iTunes jump significantly this week. Thank you very much, everybody. Um, keep listening. Spread the word.